Hello and welcome back to Kyle's Entire Monologue. In this episode, we're going to be covering the Babylon 5 Season 3 episode, Exogenesis. So, this is kind of a filler episode, if you will. Uh, we've just had some really big, important, thought-provoking, darkish episodes. And then we're going to be getting into a three-episode arc that is going to get very tense, very dark, and very depressing. So we gotta lighten the mood a little bit. So this has sort of a comedic Corwin and Ivanova-centered B-plot, and the A-plot revolves around a relatively cliched but interesting enough sci-fi concept uh, to keep the episode from being completely dull. But it, at the end of the day, this definitely will never be an episode I return to on any special occasions whatsoever. This is kind of just a bland episode. It's not bad. It's not great either. It's just kind of meh. It's there. Um, so the Corrin side of things is interesting enough. Uh, it's played for comedic effect. Uh, and it succeeds in that because... Uh, Ivanova and Sheridan have been looking to recruit more members into the Army of Light, quite understandably so, and they look at doing Corwin, and what, what's hilarious is that Corwin has been a background character, pretty much glorified extra, just to this guy with a, a occasional couple of lines, he's been there since the very beginning, and so it's fun to see him actually get something to do, wherein, uh, I believe it was... Uh, and now for a word back in season two that he was actually named for the first time. I don't think he had a name up until then, uh, to my memory at least. And now he's actually got his own subplot, which is just kind of fun. And the, the, the way it plays out, uh, of course, he's a very, you know, uh, you know, a very wet behind the ears kind of person. He's a tech guy. He, all he does is he sits there and he deals with that kind of thing. He's not used to dealing with people. And who wouldn't be intimidated when the second to come out of the station, a awesome, badass person such as Ivanova, uh, who's always very serious, comes up to you and says, hey, I'd like to have dinner with you. Effectively, the way he took it, anyway, is that she was asking him out on the date. Who wouldn't be intimidated by it? And I and I like it when he goes and he buys flowers and he's trying he's trying to figure things out and he's like she kind of just asked me over to hers it's like she's you know is she aggressive oh you have no idea you know it's just kind of that hilariousness of the awkwardness that comes from that and what's funny is that kind of plays into reality and that Corwin is essentially JMS uh if you've read his uh, autobiography Becoming Superman J. Michael Straczynski talked about his awkwardness around uh his uh you know people he was attracted to and not quite understanding pretty much anything to do with girls at all um and it's something that well uh, with that he imbues in corwin that sort of awkwardness and while that sort of you know weirdness and not sure how to progress is cringy in its own right it's also incredibly relatable because i think we've all been there i know i have and so it's just adorable but also cringy and relatable all at the same time and what i love specifically about the Corwin thing, is that the way Ivanova talks to him, she makes it seem like... It, 
So essentially, there's two sides right now. You know, there's the the pro Clark and the anti Clark, and the way Corrin thinks, he's a very by the books person. And he would never think to question orders. He would never think to do this. He just follows what is told to him. It's not that he is pro-Clark or anti-Clark. He frankly doesn't probably even have a side currently. And the way Ivanova phrases everything she asks him, she could be on either side. Of course, we know she is very anti-Clark. But even if Corin had a side... He could potentially be endangering himself by answering a particular way. So instead, he answers by the book. It's clear that he doesn't think about these kind of things on any kind of moral or ethical lens. He looks at it as his job. It's what he does. And he's not going to think about it any further than that. It's a very simplistic, yet completely understandable mindset. Which is why at the end of the episode, she decides he can't be part of the, the, the Army of Light simply because of you know, his very by-the-book nature, that he would inevitably see this as a violation of the chain of command, even though they are doing the right thing. And so it's just an interesting sort of uh, small plot. It has nothing major to it. It's very, very comedic. And then, of course, it leads up to that ending uh, with... uh, uh, because uh, Corin had lied about getting the flowers, and, and so there's that mystery: who gave a lot of the flowers, even though we, the viewer, know it was Corin. And you know, when Franklin mentions that, you know, uh, Marcus would would like a second shot of getting to know you, Ivanova goes, "Oh, it must have been Marcus." And she's like, "Here, keep them. It's hilarious. It's one of the most funny scenes in Babylon Five. Just love it." Um, so the Corin side, fun. It's not meant to be anything serious or interesting. It's just fun. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and now the Vendrizi side of the plot. Um, this, this I don't have a whole lot to say on them. They're, they do not show up again. I think if, if they did show up again, I would have more to say for what they mean. But right here as they stand, they are kind of one note, one shot. Aliens of the Week, Monsters of the Week, that basically is a sort of a twist, but you can kind of see the twist coming, where it's played up as horror. And anything that has to do with insects and bugs, specifically like alien parasite things that enter your body, I'm instantly freaked out. That's just a quibble of mine, sort of a character flaw. So... I was instantly already going like, yep, this is one of the creepiest things ever to happen in the show. I don't care if it's not as effective as other horror elements in Babylon 5. Granted, Babylon 5's take on horror has never been all that great. Um, but I found this particularly scary. But once you find out what they are, which they're essentially living memories, they describe that that themselves. They are, if you've ever, if you've ever read comics, they're Brainiac. Um, Brainiac is a character within the DC Comics universe that wishes to preserve, uh, who wishes to keep a memory of every race, uh, throughout the galaxy. So he will take things and shrink them and put them in bottles. So the bottle city, so, so that's where the model city of Kandor comes from. Because when Krypton was going to explode, he took, he took a city to preserve the Kryptonian heritage, shrank it, put it in a bottle, boom, bottle city of Kandor. Um, so they're essentially that, but they're living. They're not, uh, they're, it's not about 
preser- it's not about, about like physical preservation, it's more preservation of thought and memory and ideas. Um, it's sort of, it's no different than our history textbooks of our history textbooks talk. Um, and they, they're basically fleeing, uh, to go, uh, to, 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 uh, to get away from the coming conflict that they foresee. But this lies in that it, it sort of is almost a repeat of the entire ordeal with the Technomages. The Technomages had these secrets, you know, and, and wanted to preserve their way of life and preserve these memories, these truths, this knowledge they withheld. So we're fleeing everything. Well, guess what's going on here? Um, it's kind of repeat. And I do like that they end up ultimately being benign and completely non-hostile. Um, and and I like that they are kind of the threat of the week, but not really the ultimately good. Um, and the, the overall message of their side of the plot about, you know, don't let... Uh, you know, don't let life pass you by. You gotta live your life. Live in the moment. Live in the present. The past is gone. The future is unknown. Gotta live now. Uh, and it's a good message. And uh, the Duncan and Marcus relationship, even though this is the only episode where Duncan shows up, uh, and they're only on screen together for a little bit, you instantly buy their connection because of the way the actors play it. Uh, and the overall message hits home, even if I don't think it's as developed as enough, because I've seen that message many, many times in various different pieces of fiction. I've seen that message handled so much better uh, in other places. Um, this just doesn't hit home the way I think it should. Um, and the, the living memory concept that the Ventresi represent, basically giving giving people who have no life, basically, who have given up, uh, and to um, give them a purpose again, make them special by preserving the history of all these dead races of the galaxy. Interesting idea. They never show up again, so they're just kind of living memory banks that we know exist, but they'll never be talked about again. At least the Soul Hunters, which with themselves was an interesting concept that's barely explored past the one episode, at least they get mentioned, seen, or in, in one case of one of the movies, became a major plot point. So, at least the Soul Hunters were mentioned again. The Vendrizi never get that. So, it's it, it just kind of, okay, this thing exists in this universe, let's move on. And especially considering some things that I know about the future of the Babylon 5 universe, the Ventrisi would certainly be useful. Um, I, I'm looking at you, Deconstruction of Falling the Stars. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, um, I, I do want to talk about the Marcus uh, dynamic with Franklin. They have an instant uh, connection, and that's because the two actors uh, were rather close and rather buddy-buddy with each other. Uh, and JMS played on that to make the characters get into sort of this uh, dynamic and friendship that will evolve. And I, I, I just like the way they, they, they matter back and forth and the way they play with each other. And um, I, I like how Marcus is asking probably the most unsuccessful 
person in relationships on the Babylon 5 crew, Stephen Franklin, about Ivanova. I think that's hilarious, but also adorable at the same time. Once again, I've mentioned I like Marcus and Ivanova. Uh, you're so far from being her type, you're practically on another planet. Uh, so it's just really funny. Uh, and uh, the there's some nice setup going on. Um, you know, I mentioned that the next three episodes are like a, a three-episode arc, sort of a mini-arc within the season that's going to be vitally important for things moving forward. We get some setup for that arc. Uh, the mysterious package that Marcus was uh, hearing intel about, uh, that package is going to show up next episode. So look forward to that. Uh, but that's really all I have to say about Exogenesis. A fun B-plot, a relatively okay, if cliched, A-plot that has interesting ideas that should have been expanded upon but aren't. Ultimately, it's a good filler episode, but a filler episode nonetheless. It's meant to be lighthearted, uh, and I think there's nothing wrong with that. But once again, it is part of the problem of, you know, TV writing of the time. you got to fill 22 episodes. Not all, not all these 22 episodes were necessary for the plot. While I think Babylon 5 certainly makes use of its uh, episode economy far better than many TV shows do, um, most certainly, um, to the point that it almost feels like every season should be 22 episodes, there are an occasional episode like this that are not important at all to the arc and serve nothing more than to fill out the episode length to reach 22 episodes per season. Um, it was nice to have a focus on Marcus, especially after he was introduced and then kind of just disappeared again outside of minor things the past couple episodes, except for the uh, the uh, stuff with Ivanova going to see the Walker Sisu uh, 957. So it was nice to get that uh, get him as the center of it. I just wish he had gotten, you know, better stories to work with. Um, once again, I love Marcus, um, and he'll get some interesting development as time goes on. I just don't think this, as his first central outing, was all that great. Relatively alright episode, but I'll see you next time for the beginning of a three-episode arc that not only changes everything, but also one the uh the show it's one of its first awards which i think is really interesting but i'll talk about that when i get there until then bye <laughs>